0: Hi, I'm Rachel Gastic, and this is Formative, the podcast where today's leaders are interviewed by the leaders of tomorrow. My guest today is artist, writer, and civil rights activist Pops Peterson, whose work explores themes of diversity, social justice, and Americana. His powerful series, Rockwell Revisited, Combines photography and digital editing to reimagine the work of Norman Rockwell for the modern age, replacing white subjects with a kaleidoscope of race, ethnicities, and sexualities that reflect the diversity of America. It was the longest running solo exhibition in the history of the Norman Rockwell Museum. We are so pleased to have him join us today. My student co host is Lily from PS 175 in the Bronx. Lily, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm in sixth grade. I'm 11 years old, and
1: I have a younger sister, Nora, and I have a nice little doggy at home. His name's Obi.
0: Lily, can you tell us a little bit about what you like at school? What are your favorite subjects? What do you hope to be in the future? My favorite subject is ELA. Normally, it's
1: math, but this year I prefer ELA, and when I grow up, I want to be a veterinarian.
0: So, Lily, we have a really exciting guest with us today, Mr. Pops Peterson. Are you excited to speak with him? Yes, very. Well, let's not wait any longer. What's your first question for Pops?
1: Well, my first question is, what's your favorite color? (laughs) Yellow. And does this color give you any emotion that you think you'd use in your artwork to portray something?
2: Yellow to me is happiness and success. You know, when I'm doing a picture, I basically think about the needs of the picture rather than my color preferences. So I let every picture tell me what color it wants to be.
1: When you're thinking of the story that the picture is going to tell, do you think that that's, that you'd choose a color that portrays that? Like, do you have like sort of a feeling for every color?
2: Well, every picture is different, you know, every picture starts a different way. So sometimes I'll see something on the news. You know, and I go, oh, my God, I'm so upset. I got to do a picture about that. And then other times I might say, oh, I'd love to do something happy today. Oh, or, or something will happen in my life. You know, I'll meet somebody and I want to do their picture and tell the story of their lives. So somebody might have a very happy life and be telling a happy story. And then they'll have a brighter happier color palette than a new story about people being shot and killed or something like that, which is going to obviously have grim, dark, muted tones.
1: And as a kid, did you enjoy art? Like, was, was it something that said, oh, I would love if I could be an artist when I grow up?
2: When I was a kid, when I was about 11, really, I think all I ever wanted to do was to be a movie star. Back in my day, we would watch TV all the time because, you know, there were no... There was no streaming services. You had to get what they gave you, and you had to be there. You know, if that movie started at eleven o'clock, you had to be there at eleven. There was still like starting at eleven fifteen and rolling back. Yeah, you know, none of that. So um, we would watch Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney, and and they were just. You know, they would dance and they would sing, they would tap dance and everybody would be cheering for them. And I say, oh, my God, they've got to be the happiest people in the world. I want to be a movie star, too. You know, I want fans. I want fame. I want money and and stuff. And, you know, it's really something because it turns out they were absolutely miserable people leading horrible, abusive lives. And, you know, so sometimes it's it's good that you don't get what you wish for when you want it. But I always loved the arts. My mother had me studying piano from the age of four. Wow. Which I didn't really love at the time, I must say. It was just something she made me do. I was always getting on a stage whenever I could. Uh, When there was no play for me to be in, I would be with a poetry group just so I could get on stage every week. But I was good at a lot of different things. I was good at math. I was good at English. But art was very special. And I connected with art later in my junior high years when, you know, you're more focused as a person and you, you know, you've tried a lot of different things and I like swimming and everything, but art just to me was, was special. And then what actually happened was I saw art as a way to escape my neighborhood because there was a high school that my cousin went to, the High School of Music and Art, and I felt, you know what? I would really be safe there. Because quite frankly, even at you know at junior high school age, I knew that I was gay, and I knew that there were people who liked to bully gay people. And I didn't want to have to be in that crowd. So by being an artist, I could go to a place with other artists and feel safe and like I was in my element. So uh, that is... Part of the power of art that I found, you know, that it can actually, aside from expressing yourself, it can take you places and possibly even save your life if you use it properly as a tool.
1: And when you figured out that you wanted to do art as a career, did you have any doubts like, oh, this might not work out for me or?
2: My doubts were before I began my career. So when I was in college, still wondering if I could really make it and be that person, I was doing very well as a writer. I had some plays produced and I was published in the New York Times before I was even out of college. I had quite a few distinctions, but I was very fortunate in that as a writer, I got to meet other successful writers And I realized it's something that somebody could actually achieve. The one thing they all had in common was that they went for it. They didn't say, oh, I might not make it. They just went for it. And they went for it over and over and over again. And I said, if other people can make it, I can make it too. So it just proved to me, you just got to go out there. You got to keep slugging away. You got to believe in yourself because you're the only one that's going to make it happen. But I had to stick with it for a long time.
1: So, like, I've been wondering this, how did you get your nickname, Pops?
2: When Facebook was new, I got a friend request from Coventry, England, from this woman I, I had no connections with, somebody she wanted to be my friend. And she was interesting to me because she was white, but she had these four biracial kids, and there was no father in the picture. And I said, yeah, you know, I'll be friends with them. This is interesting. I want to, you know, be in touch with this family. So I became friends with her two oldest kids who were just the only ones old enough to be on Facebook as well. And one was a son about the age of my daughter. And so... Seven years go by and it's like Merry Christmas, oh great shoes, I love that meal you're eating, you know, that goes on for, for like seven years. And I wound up in England and I wanted to meet them and hear their voices because there wasn't a lot of video on Facebook at that time. And the only one who could come was the sun. So my husband and I met him for drinks, and we just couldn't talk to him for 15 minutes, but we we got along. So we actually wound up going out to dinner and it was just we had such a great time. And so um my husband actually went to the bathroom at one point, and this guy, I'm not going to tell you his name because he's very shy, but he said to me, Maurice, I've never had an older man in my life that I could look up to, and I wanted to be you. And I could have fainted, you know? And this was really the pivotal point, because up until this point, I was a disaster. I, had just turned, I was celebrating my 60th birthday by taking this trip to Europe. And I saw nothing coming up for me in my life that was exciting. I saw all the years I put into my artwork amounting to nothing. I was as miserable as miserable could be. I was getting old. I was not looking the same as I was. It was like, it was a difficult day. And here was this young guy who wanted me to be and needed me to be all the things I hated about myself. He wanted me to be experienced. He wanted me to be older. All these things that I hated, he found value in. And so in order to keep in touch with him, I came up with this blog, you know, because I didn't want to have to email him and wait for him to email me back and put that kind of pressure on each other. And then two weeks go by, you haven't heard from him, you get depressed or or whatever. So I just said, I'm just going to put this stuff out there so he can read about me and my feelings. And I changed my name to Pops so he could call me Pops without people thinking that it was weird, because everybody would be calling me Pops. So that's how I became Pops Peterson.
1: What would you say for your artwork was the biggest inspiration for you where you thought, I could make so many artworks off this?
2: Well, um, the big inspiration that changed everything happened totally by accident. So let me just say that I had I had decided that I had to get back into the art world, you know, and I started a blog and I started illustrating my blog with my own cartoons because I didn't want to just like do clip art and stuff on my blog. So And I had gone to art school. So I started after 35 years, I started drawing. I, I started with a stick figure and then they got more and more and more elaborate. And I was doing pretty well, you know, just... By doing landscapes and people had me do portraits of their kids and their dogs and stuff like that. And it wasn't a lot of money, but it was something and it was happening. And then one of the cartoons that I was doing for my blog just happened to look like a Norman Rockwell image to me it had the feeling it looked like a painting you know not like a cartoon It looked like somebody drew it and painted it and it had this special feeling i said wow i wonder if i could do that on on purpose you know so i hired my first model i had never hired a model before and um that i wanted to have that same style to see if i could recapture it and by golly it worked And then I said, you know, I should just redo the Norman Rockwells as if he were doing them now instead of 50 years ago, and seventy years. Just redo the whole thing with, you know, with iPhones in it, all the hairstyles and show different people, too, because he only was allowed ever really to do white people. Let's let's bring in some some gay people and some black people and just, you know, show a, a whole new diverse populace, which is, you know, the world that we're living in now. And I thought, well, maybe if they really come out great, the Rockwell Museum, well, let me have a room or have a party for me one day in the basement. and I could bring my friends and it'd be great. Right. So I had no idea that by doing these images that I would not only wind up with the longest running solo exhibition in the history of the Norman Rockwell Museum, but I also would have won a civil rights award and started a career as a lecturer and gotten a, you know a literary agent and all these incredible things are happening. So that one image is the one thing that got me the idea that actually changed my life.
1: Was that the first time that you had discovered like this looks like a Norman Rockwell painting? like I should pursue this, like I should keep on going or had you f- had you discovered, like were you inspired by Norman Rockwell before that?
2: Okay. This is also a really interesting, you've opened up a Pandora's box here. When I was a kid, your age, before Netflix and YouTube and everything, magazines were a big deal. Okay. So everybody got time or Newsweek and the Saturday evening post was like, they had million, it was the biggest media of the day. So Norman Rockwell would do these covers, you know, at least once a month there would be a Norman Rockwell and he signed his name very prominently on all of his pictures and they would come in and I go, oh, that's Norman Rockwell, that's Norman Rockwell. And I just love, well, everybody did, but not only did I love the pictures, I wanted to be where the pictures were because they were all pretty and clean and people always loved each other and they always had good clothes and there was sunshine and there were flowers and who wouldn't want to be there? You know, cause I'm in Queens and you look outside and it was just not the same. Okay. <laughs> so, but it actually turns out that Norman Rockwell and I were born about a mile apart
0: Really? So, uh,
2: even less than a mile apart in New York. He was born in like what you call the Upper West Side on Amsterdam Avenue, and I was born in Harlem, just about a mile apart. And then when he was a teenager, he moved to Harlem, and he lived in a, in a house on St. Nicholas Avenue. And when I was a teenager, I went to school in Harlem at the High School of Music and Art, and guess what street it was on? St. Nicholas. So we were like a half mile apart in our teenage years. I mean, decades apart, but geographically, we moved from three quarters of a mile to a half mile apart, right? And then when I decided to open my business, I came up to Stockbridge of all places. And then I found out that Norman Rockwell's house was directly across the street. And when I look out my office window, I see his property. Wow. So it's kind of spooky. It's like, maybe this has been in the works, in the stars, since the day I was born or before.
0: Perhaps I'd, I'd love to hear about your process and your work, but I'd also love for you to share the conversations that have come out of your work. Because I think they're powerful conversations that that we all need to hear and be a part of. So when you did transform
2: Norman Rockwell's work,
0: how has that fit into your work in civil rights, social justice,
2: Okay. Well, when I did these, as I said, I wanted to have fun. I never thought of making money, really. I mean, I, would, of course, would love to make money, but it just that wasn't it. I just wanted to do something that would be artistic, you know, and, and be interesting in the art world and in the community. And after I had my first show, my first Rockwell show, it totally, totally took me by surprise that people actually thought they were important for the civil rights movement. And let me also say that, the last thing I ever wanted was to have anything to do with the civil rights struggle. And that is because as a child, my whole world was engulfed in the civil rights struggle. And we went to picket lines. My mother's, mother and father were always going to NAACP meetings. And there were lynchings in the news and, and riots. And it's the last thing you ever wanted to deal with. And then things kind of cooled off. And things changed tremendously in the 70s. After all the riots and everything happened in 1969, 1970, things opened up a little bit. And I could relax a little bit Could see more people of color in the movies and on TV. And it was that you didn't feel like you were a third-class citizen, you know, who couldn't do things that other people were allowed to do. Then Obama got elected, and I said... It's all over now, smooth sailing, easy, clear skies. Last thing I ever wanted to do was to have to even think about race riots and shootings and gerrymandering and all those really difficult subjects that are plaguing They're cancer on our system. I just wanted to be happy and have a life and live my life. And that, to me, was freedom. You can just go to the lunch counter if you want to, buy what you want to, and hang out with who you want to. That's all anybody ever really wants. But then it turned out that things started taking another turn, and people thought I that the message in my images was important and powerful. And, you know, looking at it, of course, you can see I'd show a diverse world where before it was by decree, it was a very segregated world, a very one-dimensional world that Rockwell was Allowed to paint because they would not allow him to do anyone of color in a prominently featured role in his pictures. You would see maybe a maid or a Pullman porter or something like that, but it was never about the black person or the color person, you know, or the Mexican or anybody like that. So I'll go in, you know, in a high school full of 200 kids, and nobody is uh, on their phone, nobody's getting up to go to the bathroom, nobody's passing notes, they are listening. And they're learning about people whose lives and the sacrifices that these people made and the work they did allow them to have a free life that they have right now. People that they never heard of before, such as Josephine Baker, a great entertainer and war hero. People like Gordon Parks, who is the first black person who was ever allowed to shoot fashion models. People like... Marian Anderson, who was not allowed to sing for the Daughters of the Revolution in their, in their hall. And so they wound up having her sing at the Lincoln Memorial. You know, all these people who did amazing things through the decades and the centuries. I'm bringing that to these audiences of high school people and, and young adults and college people and, and even older community groups as well. And they, especially the kids, they walk out of the auditorium like they're like two or three inches taller. And so I find myself in this position now, and I feel so lucky that I can actually do something that people need, you know, that's going to really hopefully, hopefully help to heal our world. And if not the whole world, at least our country, and if not our country, at least the people in in the audience will get something that will just give them a little bit more pride, a little bit more strength, and make them want to live on a little bit more.
1: What's an important characteristic? What's a valued characteristic that you wish to have for yourself?
2: For myself, mm-hmm. that I don't have,
1: or just something that you do have that you want to make sure that you have for the rest of your life?
2: Oh, okay. I want to keep my optimism. You know, I was kind of born being very optimistic and very outgoing and very loving. So uh, that's what I want to hold on to more than anything.
0: Pops, I want to thank you so much because you've been an inspiration to a lot of us at New York Edge and our kids and our staff, and your work is so important. So thank you for that. I want to ask you if you could go back in time and speak to yourself when you were 13. What's one piece of advice you would give to yourself then?
2: Believe. I'm just really glad That I was able when I was young to meet these successful people who proved to me that nobody handed it to them. You know, there's no magic formula except believe. And you have to believe in yourself before anyone else will believe in you. So I would tell myself believe and and be persistent and don't give up. And that's what I did. You know, I did believe in myself, but I still have to believe in myself and I still have to be persistent. Because as I said, I think I'm still just now finally at the beginning of what I want to do.
0: Thank you. I think uh, we have some young people that are going to want to follow in your footsteps. So thank you.
2: <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm so delighted that you've invited me to your show, Lily. Thank you. You gave it was a wonderful, wonderful interview.
1: I really enjoyed talking to you.
2: Thank you. I'm glad. I mean, you. I talk about a lot of adult things, but it's good to see that you know that young people like you are receptive and and not only intelligent enough, but open enough to understand what I'm trying to, to say. And um, very grateful for this opportunity.
0: Thanks for listening to Formative. I'm your host, Rachel Gazdick, CEO of New York Edge. My co-host today was Lily from PS175 in the Bronx. She was assisted by Jesse Cowan. Our guest today was artist and activist, Pops Peterson. The show is produced and story edited by Charlotte Moore Lambert, post-production and original music by Garrett Tiedemann, production manager Gabriela Montaquin, and executive producer David Hoffman. Thanks to the whole team here at New York Edge for making this series possible. Never miss an episode of Formative by subscribing to the series at newyorkedge.org formative or wherever you get your podcasts.